If not, then you'll want to take your Bible out this morning. You'll want to open it up to the Gospel of John. That is where we are at. If you've not been with us on Sunday morning, we have been walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Gospel of John. I have entitled this series that we are looking at, Getting to Know Jesus, Believe and Live. That was really God's desire, John's desire for his people. He wanted them to understand who Jesus Christ was, that Jesus Christ indeed was God in the human flesh. And as a result of knowing who Jesus Christ was, that they might believe on him. In other words, they might put their faith and trust in him. Oftentimes, that's what that word believe means. And as a result of that, they would experience life to the fullest. Sometimes we refer to life to the fullest as abundant life. The unique thing is in the passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning, Jesus Christ is going to make reference to the abundant life, the life that he gives those who choose to follow him. He's going to say that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Or as some of your Bibles may say, that you may have life to the fullest. You know, I often tell people that it is possible to have never experienced abundant life in your life, even though you're alive and well. You know, this morning in our early service as well as this service, we've had a real opportunity to see people move from life to death. Now, we know that baptism doesn't save a person. I shared that earlier. It simply shows that a person has been saved. It is an outward picture of an inward reality of what's happened in their life. But the Bible very clearly says, at one time we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but at the moment we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were made alive in Christ Jesus. We have a lot of different words in the Bible for that word abundant life. Sometimes we refer to it as being born again. Jesus refers to it in this passage as being saved. Other places it refers to as being regenerated or being a new creation in Christ. All of those make reference to abundant life. The life that Jesus Christ desires for every follower of his to experience to the fullest. Now, if you were here last Sunday morning, we began to look at chapter 10. I shared with you that chapter 10 sometimes is referred to as the Good Shepherd passage of Scripture. In this story or in this passage, Jesus Christ contrasts himself with the religious leaders of Israel. He's going to say, I am not like the religious leaders of Israel. I am the good shepherd. That is how he chooses to reveal himself to his listeners in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, had failed in their responsibility. Rather than being the spiritual leaders that Israel needed, 
and guiding them spiritually in the truth and caring for them and warning them and protecting them and leading them, they had misguided the children of Israel. They had failed the people of Israel miserably. Jesus Christ points that out in the chapter before. It is evident when you read the story of the healing of the man who was born blind from birth, it is easy to see how the nation, the spiritual leaders had failed them. Rather than celebrating with this man and praising Jesus Christ for who he is and what Christ had done in his life, instead, they kicked the man out of the synagogue because he had chosen to associate with Jesus Christ. In chapter 10, Jesus Christ is going to draw this contrast. And in this passage of Scripture, He is going to share with us several things that the Good Shepherd does for His people. Have you ever noticed throughout Scripture we have this analogy, this illustration that is spoken of over and over again of sheep and shepherd? Have you seen that? Remember, David writes the 23rd Psalm about the Good Shepherd Here, Jesus Christ refers to himself as the good shepherd, and we, the sheep, are his people. Last week, we discovered several important things about the good shepherd from this passage of Scripture. First, we learned that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, warns his people. Jesus' desire is to protect us. He warns us against false teachers those who would appear in sheep's clothing but actually are wolves. They're disguised. He goes on and he talks about the good shepherd cares for his people. As a matter of fact, he says that he calls each one of us by name. Think about that for a moment. You ever thought about the fact that Jesus Christ knows your name? He knows you personally. He also says the good shepherd leads his sheep to salvation. He's not happy just to leave the sheep in the sheep pen. He leads them out to green pastures. Well, he's going to make two more statements this morning. He's going to say, Jesus is going to say, the good shepherd provides his people with abundant life. And then he's also going to say that the good shepherd willingly lays down his life for his sheep. If you have your Bibles there, follow along with me as I read this morning in verse 7, chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now you remember what I shared with you about those two words, right? Do you know what Jesus Christ is saying? When Jesus Christ says, truly, truly, this is what he's saying, wake up. I just wanted to make sure you were awake this morning. He's he's getting ready to say something very important. And he wants you to hear what it is that he is about to say. Did you hear what Jesus Christ said? He said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Most likely the words thieves and robbers refer to the religious leaders of Israel. 
the Pharisees and the scribes, they had misguided the people. Now listen, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Can I say to you this morning, there is a very real enemy out there who would love to kill, steal, and destroy your life. That's his desire. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you spiritually, physically, and emotionally. If you don't believe that, just look at the landscape of America today. In America today, we are in dire need of something. You would agree with me on that, wouldn't you? Just look at the world in which we live in. Can't we all agree this morning that our nation is in dire need of something? And I would tell you today that what they need more than anything else today is Jesus Christ. We don't need a new president. We don't need a new Congress. We don't need a new Senate. I know we think that is what we need, but what America needs more than anything else is they need Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. Our hope is not in this world. Do you remember the words of the psalmist where he says, I do not trust in horses. I do not trust in in chariots. I trust in the name of the Lord our God. We need to realize something this morning, folks. We need not to trust in the things of this world. We don't need to trust in our bank account or our retirement or our 401k or the government of America or the president of We need to trust in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do more than anything else in this world. There is a real enemy, and that real enemy wants to come, and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. And he'll do it in your family. He'll do it in your marriage. He'll do it in your relationships with your children. He'll do it in your relationships with the people that you work with. You see, what we are seeing in America today is the result of a nation that no longer fixes their eyes upon Jesus Christ. And what we're seeing is the results of that. And unless America turns back to Jesus Christ, let me say, it's not going to get better, folks. But there is hope. We sang about it earlier, right? Who is the living hope? Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. Go back and listen to what else he says here. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now listen, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for my sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to approach your throne this morning, and we want to ask of you to bless the reading of your word. Father God, please hide me behind the cross this morning that people may not hear what it is that I have to say, but they would very clearly hear what it is that you want to speak through me today. And Father, my prayer is, if there's anyone in our midst who does not know the Good Shepherd, they've never experienced the abundant life that Jesus Christ offers in himself, I pray today would be the day that they come to know Him, come to trust Him as the Lord and Savior of their life. You guide and direct us through Your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray that You would be lifted up during the preaching and teaching of Your Word because You tell us, if Jesus Christ be lifted up, You will draw all men unto Him. So I pray that that would, be, that would take place this morning, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. This morning, and from this text, I want to just offer you two things that Jesus Christ very clearly says that He does as the Good Shepherd in our life. Three of them we looked at last week, as I mentioned earlier, that Jesus Christ warns us, Jesus Christ cares for us, and Jesus Christ leads us. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ very clearly comes and says, the Good Shepherd provides for us abundant life. Did you hear what Jesus Christ said earlier when I read this passage of Scripture? In verse 10 of this passage, Jesus Christ said, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but the good shepherd, he has come that he may offer life and offer it abundantly. Now, some of your Bibles may say life to the fullest. Abundant life, life to the fullest is the exact same thing. But what I want you to hear me say this morning, abundant life, life to the fullest is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes that very clear in this passage of Scripture. Sometimes I think in America we confuse abundant life with the good life. Don't we? Sometimes I think we look at people who are living the good life and we draw the conclusion that obviously because they are living the good life, they must be experiencing life to the fullest. They must be experiencing abundant life. We define the good life as the American dream, owning your own home, two uh, newer make models of cars in your garage, and a nice pension waiting for us one day down the road so that when we retire, we can live comfortably. Isn't that what we all desire? Come on, this is yes, this is no. Isn't that what we all desire? Yeah. Isn't that what we're all working? Isn't that what we're killing ourselves? Is so that we can all experience the American dream in our life, that we can experience the good, good life that we think is due all of us in this world? Isn't that true? I think sometimes we confuse in America abundant life with good life. But I would tell you, there are many people in America 
who have achieved the good life, the American dream, who have missed out on abundant life. Did you know nowhere in Scripture does Jesus Christ equate abundant life to collecting more things? As a matter of fact, we read just the opposite of that in Scripture. Jesus Christ told a story about it. It's found in Luke, the 12th chapter. In that story, he tells us about a man who was rich. Rich beyond imagination. As a matter of fact, the man was so rich and he had done so well one year, he went out and he built more barns to store all of the crops that he had gathered that year. At the end of the story, this is what Jesus Christ says. He refers to him as a rich fool because that very night his life would be required of him. In that story, Jesus Christ makes this statement. I want you to listen to it carefully. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Did you hear that? Listen to it again carefully. Take care. You know what Jesus is doing? He's warning you. Take care. That's not enough. He goes on and he says, Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now understand when I say this this morning, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with experiencing the American dream. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having possessions. But you need to hear me this morning. There's nothing wrong with having possessions, but there is something wrong with possessions having you. Jesus offers abundant life, not the good life. Do you see that here? Jesus Christ very clearly said, I have come that you may experience life, life to the fullest, abundant life. Listen to me this morning. You can work all of your life. You can store up possessions for yourself. You can retire and be very, very comfortable in life. And I will tell you, none of those things will ever bring one ounce of satisfaction to your soul. 
And the reason that is, is every single person has a God-sized void in their life that can only be filled with Jesus Christ. We oftentimes spend our entire life looking in, in temporal things for eternal things. And Jesus Christ says, eternal life, abundant life is not found in the things of the world. Abundant life is found in me, is what Jesus Christ says. Now let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ the pursuit of your life? You want to know how to answer that question this morning? You see, sometimes it's easy for us to place an answer after the question. But if we really want to answer that question this morning, the only thing we really need to do is examine how we live our lives. You see, it's like my mama told us boys when we were growing up. Actions always speak louder than words. Do you see what I'm saying? We can run around all day long hollering about how much we love Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thing. I tell people all the time that I love Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is this, does the actions of our life match the words that I'm speaking out of my mouth? If the actions of my life do not match the words that I'm speaking from my mouth, they are hollow. They are empty. What is the pursuit of your life. Jesus Christ makes it very, very clear in this passage of Scripture, it is the good shepherd that gives eternal life. Jesus Christ is the giver of abundant life. You will not find abundant life in any of the things of the world. Abundant life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now think about it for a moment. What was that song we sang earlier? Jesus Christ is what? Our living hope. Jesus Christ is our living hope. Do we truly mean that? Does our lives exemplify that? Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd and I give abundant life to my sheep. Number two, second, Jesus Christ said, the good shepherd dies for his sheep. Did you notice earlier when I was reading this passage of Scripture five different times, Jesus Christ makes this statement. Jesus Christ says, I lay down, the life, I lay down my life for my sheep. Now I want you to just notice what Jesus Christ says the last time he says it. 
The last time he makes that statement is found in verses 17 and 18. Look with me there and listen to the words of Jesus Christ again. Jesus Christ said, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. You see it right there? That I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Now you and I know exactly what it is that Jesus Christ is referring to in these words. Jesus Christ is pointing to the fact that He would go to the cross and He would hang there and He would die to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. There is no doubt that that is the statement that Jesus Christ is making. But what I want you to notice in this statement that Christ makes in verse 17 and 18, I want you to just notice two different things about the death of Jesus Christ that He says. First, Jesus Christ willingly died for us. Scripture doesn't just say that Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ said, I willingly lay down my life for my sheep. No one takes it for me. I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus Christ didn't have to be coerced or manipulated to die on our behalf. He wasn't forced by God to go to a cruel cross and hang there and die and bear in His body the sins of the world. Jesus Christ willingly laid down His life. It was His love for humanity that compelled Him to go to the cross and do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. Think about it for a moment. When Jesus Christ hangs and dies on that cross, He pays the penalty for our sin. He literally takes your punishment and my punishment. He who knew no sin became sin for you and I. Think about that for just a moment. Think about it. He who knew no sin, he who never committed a single sin in this world, willingly went to a cruel cross, hung there and died to take your punishment and my punishment, to do that on our behalf. Think about that. I mean, that to me is absolutely unbelievable. Now you think about what Jesus Christ did for you. I don't know everyone's relationship with Jesus Christ today. But if you're here today and you are born again, you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have given Him your heart and your life, when you think about the fact that Jesus Christ willingly went to a cruel cross, He hung there and died, He took my punishment on my behalf, it ought to motivate us to serve the Lord with all of our heart. It ought to motivate us when we think about the fact that Jesus Christ willingly sacrificed His life on our behalf. I want you to think about that kind of love for a moment. You've heard me use this illustration before in the messages that I've preached. Every most of you know that I have one son in this world. And as much as I love every one of you, you are foolish to ever believe that I would give up my son for you. 
And don't say you would do it for me either. Because you wouldn't. But that's exactly what God did for you and I. And you know what? He didn't have to coerce Jesus Christ. He didn't have to force Jesus Christ. He didn't have to try to manipulate Jesus Christ. He willingly laid down his life for ours. But not only does the Word of God just say that he willingly laid down his life for us, it also says that Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life for us, that his death was a substitutionary death. In other words, Jesus Christ willingly gave up his life on our behalf. He substituted his life for our lives. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, you've heard me mention that we are uh, currently chronologically reading through the Bible. As we read story after story in the Old Testament, it gives us an opportunity to watch God's redemptive plan unfold before our very eyes. Two stories that we have talked about or that we actually have read and looked at are found in our readings. One story I actually preached on a Sunday morning. It was the sacrifice of Isaac on the top of Mount Moriah. The other one you read this week, right? Yeah, I hope you did. Yeah, that's what I want. The other one you read this week, it is the story of the Passover that takes place in the Exodus. What's unique about each one of those stories is this. In each one of those stories, the sheep die for the people. In the Passover story, God tells the nation of Israel to take a lamb, kill the lamb, apply the blood to the doorpost, and the Passover angel, the death angel, would pass over their home. In the second story, the story of Isaac being offered by, as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah by his father, Abraham, in that story, if you remember, an angel from the Lord comes and stops Abraham, and there is a ram that is caught in the thicket, and the ram serves as a substitute for Isaac's life. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to fast forward to the New Testament. And I don't want you to miss this fact, all right? When we fast forward to the New Testament, we don't see the sheep dying for the people. Now we see the good shepherd who dies for his sheep. Do you see that? I willingly lay down my life as a substitute for your life. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, willingly went to a cruel cross, hung there and died. He sacrificed his life on, your, on our behalf so that in turn we could be reconciled back into right relationship with God. Indeed, he is the good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for his people. Amen? Think about that. The Old Testament, 
It is the sheep who die for the people. The New Testament, it is the shepherd who dies for the people. When I read this story and I walk away from it, the conclusion that I draw is this. Jesus Christ is indeed the good shepherd. He is indeed the one who warns his people. He cares for his sheep. He knows them by name. He leads his sheep to salvation. The good shepherd provides for them abundant life. And the good shepherd willingly lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. And the question you must ask yourself this morning is this. Do I know Him? I didn't ask if you knew about Him. There's a lot of people who know facts about Jesus Christ who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do you personally know Him? He is the Good Shepherd. Father God, we thank You for Your Word and the truth of Your Word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Father, I thank You for this illustration that Jesus Christ uses to teach us important spiritual truths about who He is and how He relates to our lives. Father, my prayer is this morning as we enter into this time of invitation, Lord, that if there's first someone that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they've never met Him, they've never trusted Him. I pray today would be that day that they would give their heart and life to You. But also, Father, I believe it's an opportunity to take a step back and examine our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. To really challenge ourselves to stop and to remind ourselves of who the Good Shepherd is. And Lord, I pray as we focus on the truths about who Jesus Christ is, that it would compel us to live a life committed unto Him a life that would bring honor and glory to His name. Father, as like the rest of our service, we give You this time of invitation and pray that You would work in our hearts and our lives. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.